Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hour number two of Outkick 360, and Chad, that means we are three hours away from boarding a flight where we will have bottle service charged to Clay Travis <laughs> yes. on our way to Gainesville. Yes. Clay, uh, thanks in advance for that upgrade to first class on our, uh, on our Delta flights down to Gainesville. We really appreciate it. Paul headed to uh, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, that is the one stadium, Paul, I have never uh, visited uh, throughout my years with Titans Radio. We never traveled whenever I was traveling. Uh, to Seattle. I, of course, haven't been to the new Vegas Stadium or the new L.A. Stadium. Uh, other than that, I think I've hit them all except for Seattle. Seattle's pretty sweet. Uh, I've been once or twice, and I'm looking forward to going, uh, going back, being in the full atmosphere. It's a quick turn trip for me, but uh, hopefully you see a good football game. Yep, we Paul, will. Uh, that would be a great first class trip for you yeah, from Nashville to Seattle. That's yeah. a nice amount of time. Southwest to doesn't class. have first class. They don't have first class. They still have, they yeah. haven't. Just that model yeah. or in general? <laughs> no, okay, in, general. in general. Yeah, just making sure. Yeah, I did book my first JetBlue flight uh, for something later in the season, so I'm curious about that. Hit us up on Twitter, at Outkick360. Coming up in uh, 15 minutes or so, Bobby Carpenter will join us. Uh, an hour from now, the Tennessee Power Hour with Brent Hubbs and Austin Price. We'll kick off there, and then we'll go full in an in-depth preview of the Titans and Seahawks. Um, as we go into uh, all Tennessee topics during the final hour of today's show. We kick off this hour, though, with Chad Withrow's top five college football games for week three atop uh, the college football slate. Chad, um, Alabama, Florida has to be number one on your list, does it not? Well, a staple of this show every Friday will be my top college football games of the weekend to get people excited about the Saturday slate of college football. Another staple of this show is showing you the graphic if you're watching and blinding you with lots Ooh, of colors. Good. Look at those colors. So many right Thank you, Ellie. So many honorable mentions that it adds to the blinding effect. <laughs> Ellie Sylvia. <laughs> that is a busy graphic. <laughs> Ellie Sylvia doing a lot with the colors here and somehow has BYU in Colorado as white <laughs> as their color, yeah, well, which is interesting. I, the maroons decision. are a real struggle on this graphic, I've yeah. got to say. Hutton, you are correct. Top game go. of the week. Number one, Alabama da, at number da, da, 11, da, Florida. Da, 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 da. The atmosphere... Uh, the talent on the field makes this the best game of the week. Yes, the competitiveness of this game, point blowout minimally. I don't think will make it the most compelling finish of the week because I think Alabama is going to win going away in this one. But this is the biggest game. CBS, the you had the music right, uh, Hutton. CBS game of the week. It returns two thirty Central Time. These uh, kickoff times, by the way, Central Time two thirty on CBS. Number two, another SEC West team going on the road. Auburn at Penn State. It is the whiteout game. We're going to be talking about this tomorrow on Outkick the Tailgate, about the significance of the whiteout game and what that atmosphere is like. Auburn and Coach Brian Harson coming over from Boise One State. 1-0. Oh. Oh. About to get the uh, firsthand experience. That's right. All about 1-0 oh this week. And uh, Penn State trying to do that again against Auburn this week. Game number three, I tell you what. ESPN Pac-12 after dark. The 9-15 kickoff has really been delivering. We had BYU-Utah on the list a week ago. 
How about number 19, Arizona State, going to Provo to take on BYU this Provo, week? That's Utah? one worth Provo, watching. Spain. Provo, Utah for this one. Would be a different time oh, a for the kickoff setting. if it was in Provo, Spain. For those who have never been to BYU, and I know it's the majority of our audience, it is a beautiful setting uh, for college football. Hud and I uh, got to throw some football on that we field. We did. In, uh, in Utah. Very nice. Did you Great do your, your, your fake and your pivot? Your... I did the left-handed throw also. <laughs> fake and then could throw with either hand. We've seen someone <laughs> Chad do that. does a lot of good vocal impressions. He also does some good throwing impressions. Yeah. yeah All right. Underrated good. number four for, uh, on NBC. Purdue at Notre Dame. Two 2-0 two and o teams. Purdue has yet to really play anyone. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame has also yet to play anyone, but they have not looked good in the two wins. They win they in overtime against Florida State, who then went on to lose to Jacksonville State, and then they survived Toledo in the second game. This game is on NBC. I believe this is the first game of the year on NBC. They were on Peacock, Peacock. a week ago That's right for that game. So Purdue at Notre Dame. I love the NBC-Notre Dame games also. Love that broadcast. Uh, with Mike Tirico. Super production. Purdue at Notre Dame, big-time game, big-time test. Is Maria Taylor Dame. on these broadcasts? I think so. I believe so. Okay. I think so. Number five. This is one that I don't think everyone will have in their top five, but I, I love this matchup. Mississippi State at Memphis. These games for Memphis are huge. Anytime they get an SEC West, especially in the state of Mississippi, I remember Hugh Freeze taking an Ole Miss team there and losing and how big it was for that Memphis program. Two undefeated teams. Mississippi State survived La Tech in week one, looked great against NC State last week. They're 2-0. Memphis 2-0 also. Big-time game on ESPN2, 3 p.m. kickoff for that one, Mississippi State at Memphis. It hasn't been pretty Mississippi State-wise with their games this year. But it was pretty against NC State. Well, they look good go, running away from them. Yeah, you're right. Will Rogers, um, he he's starting to look like the Mike Leach prototypical quarterback, right? Um, can he be trusted here on the road? It's an. It, I, I'm with you on the intriguing matchup because we know what we saw in Week One from Mississippi State versus what we saw from Week Two, and are we going to seesaw those performances throughout the year? Absolutely. Has big, anyone big out there had a seizure yet from looking at this graphic, do we think? No. No, they have not because they love color. They love, they love pop. Uh, speaking of pop, how about Minnesota at Colorado? I'm interested in the Buffaloes for this reason. I am still not convinced that they are very good. We're going to find out a lot about that this week, even though they barely uh, lost to Texas A&M. Row your boat. I think that was more playing over their head. Speaking of row your boat, how would P.J. Fleck look in USC colors? He's, he's the odds-on favor right now in Vegas. Is that right? Yes. We hadn't mentioned him, had we? I mean, he's already in USC colors, I guess, in Minnesota for the most part. But, I mean, that's a guy that has some marketing savvy about him that would love a job like that. He's got some ties that will carry over. That's right. Minnesota at Colorado, uh, Pac-12 Network. I, I don't think I get Pac-12 Network, but if you do, who knows? Uh, but if you can find it, go right ahead. <laughs> Just speak What's it, funny speak is, it uh, into your remote control. What I know about Pac-12 Network, I don't think I've ever watched Pac-12 Network, but Jill Savage, our co-host and Outkick the Tailgate, yep. does games for Pac-12 Network. So apparently I'm going to have Jill, to Jill, we watch channel. it all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah we can't get hey, enough. Hey, Jill, love your work with Pac-12 <laughs> Network. You've done a terrific job. Terrific. She's had a lot of Colorado games in the past also, so uh, that's one she'll be watching. Michigan State at Miami, 11 a.m., ABC kickoff. Michigan State looked great under Mel Tucker on that Friday night to open the season against Northwestern. This is an upset pick for me. Miami has been very shaky. Barely survived Appalachian State a week ago. 
course, we know what they did against Alabama in week one. Miami, I want to say, is a six or seven point favorite they in this are. game. Yep. Touchdown favorite. I'm with you, Hutton. I think the Spartans go think, to Miami and get it done. I think they went outright. Absolutely. Cincinnati at Indiana. This is one of those games for Cincinnati. If they are going to wreck the college football playoff, they have to win this game and not just win it. They need to win convincingly. I want to say they're a six or seven point favorite also on the road at Indiana. This is not a game that's good enough just to win. This is the unfortunate side effect of not being in a Power 5 conference with a Power 5 schedule, is that if you're Cincinnati, winning at Indiana is not good enough. You need to win in blowout fashion. Do you think they will? I think they win. I don't know that they win in blowout fashion. But that is a big one for Cincinnati early in the year with a chance against a Big Ten team. And a Big Ten team that had a lot of success last year. A rough start to the season this year for, for Tom Allen in Indiana, but still a big game for Cincinnati. And finally, maybe this is in honor of Ellie Sylvia, our production assistant, because she's going to this game. Who designed this graphic? And she has family ties to this game. Tulane at Ole Miss. I think that's a sneaky, sneaky good matchup between those two teams. Ole Miss only a 14-point favorite. I say only, only because I think you see Tulane at Ole Miss and think that's a cupcake game for Ole Miss. Keep in mind, Tulane played Oklahoma very close in, in week one. I think that's a pretty good game. I'm also interested in Ole Miss because – I'm looking at who's going to challenge Alabama in the SEC West. And right now, Ole Miss is as good a candidate as Texas A&M or anyone else. Yeah, I agree. So. Well, because of their quarterback and their play caller. Just because of their offense. Uh, Matt Corral, though, is already getting some attention, and rightfully so, for the Heisman race, whenever that cranks up. He needs another stat-stuffing performance to squarely position himself for that type of run. Um, and that's nothing against him as much as it is the, the other high-profile teams in the top 10 are going to get a lot of run here. Corral, Chad, he put up 381 yards last week. That's going to count to his final stat line. They played Austin P. It is time to stat stuff this game as well when you have these, not layups, but you get where I'm going here. You have these opportunities early in the season uh, to add to your overall passing total that end up on a stat line whenever all these voters start making their comparisons. This is one of those games for Corral. I think if they go out there and just destroy Tulane in this game. I think they'll hammer them. And their defense looks a lot better like they have early on this year. It looked a lot better against Louisville. Still not sure how competent Louisville is. But if Ole Miss goes out and hammers Tulane, I think it's time to start getting nervous if you're in the SEC West about Ole Miss and what Lane Kiffin's doing. With that, not just in the future, but I'm I, talking about in year two what he's accomplishing at Ole Miss. I'm staying away from this game, though. It's 14 and a half on the spread. And Tulane's defense is good enough to make this a four-quarter game. Yeah. So uh, I, this is kind of like Titan Seahawks for me. I don't know what to expect spread-wise. Um, I think Tulane can keep it close for a while. I'm just betting. I would bet. If I'm betting the game, I'm betting Ole Miss's offense. Those head coaches. Good offense versus good defense. Those head coaches in the state of Mississippi and make the, both those teams far more compelling than they've been in my southern lifetime. Um, and I, I'm far more interested in both of those games than I ever would have been previously because of those two mm -hmm. games. I'm, I'm looking for right now to show you guys. I'm very interested in Tulane's uniforms for this game. Have you are seen they the wear helmet orange? they're wearing? Like, a, like a last oh, green no. team we watch? They are wearing that. their SEC throwbacks. <clears throat> so they were in the SECs oh. in the early 1900s until World War II, basically. And they have, it in ode of their three SEC championships, Tulane has three SEC football championships. They have the 1938, 1941, whatever it is. They have the patches for those SEC titles on their helmet. 
and uh, they have their Mr. Greeny logo. I'm going to find it for you guys and, and show it. I wish I would have given it to the guys to show also, but it is terrific. Very old school uh, logo that's like this little, almost like a little green Martian. That's the Tulane logo around it. They're you wearing think Ole Miss will be in their red? I don't know. I, I will say this, though. They don't – that powder blue uniform they have is as I'm good trying, as it gets. But, I, yeah, it, I, I agree. With I'm the just, powder, it, I I'm like the red the with the powder blue, blue helmet is, also. T- powder blue is Because they beautiful. went powder blue uh, in week one in Atlanta. Oh, I like this right? greeny. It does look good. I'm seeing it for the first time. I mean, it's very old school, yeah, old school. and yeah. simple. Yeah. Yeah. It cool. looks a little bit like the Great Gazoo. Yeah, it looks it like does, a cartoon yeah, character from back in the day. That in, uh, But it's cool. Was it what, – what was that game back in the day, Chad? Minuteman or what was it? I can't remember it's now. It's just like a little boy in a green helmet carrying a flag. He's got like little cleats on and it's cute. It's a little cute. That's what all football cute. players want to be known as, cute. Uh, I, yeah, but uh, because it's a throwback, like if it was a new thing, it'd be ridiculous, right? But because it's a throwback, it's classic. There so we're seeing the other screen We got a here, screen now, too, so we can see it. Oh, that's terrific. That is Greeny, the old Tulane oh, mascot. Man. That merch is going to sell like crazy. I mean, I'm thinking about buying a shirt. <laughs> I like it that much. What, which are you, a Tulane guy? No, I just really like this logo. This is uh, old school banging hats. That's where what we're different. Yeah. I, can, like, I can look at that and absolutely love it, but I could never wear a Tulane shirt. It's a, unless my kid went to Tulane. It's a logo that has double meaning. It serves as the logo for Tulane and also possibly a, a wartime ad to join the service because it's a military helmet. Yeah. It looks like that he's wearing <laughs> So this was during World War II that this uh, logo was out there. I think that you know maybe the... United States government. The same, had a part uh, of this the logo. same cartoonist who uh, helped illustrate the Jetsons, I think, uh, drew this as well, Chad, <laughs> back in the day. I, 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 some special things are happening. Junior. You put that logo Jane, on your helmet, his wife. you go play an SEC team again. <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? Uh, you know what? Uh, Nebraska says, I'll see you're cute and raise you a level with those suspender oh, uniforms that God. were all the rage. That's been that proven fake. It was fake, but. That would have been this week, by the way. It was going to be Nebraska Oklahoma week. Well, God, did you, know, did you notice what wasn't on my list? The- Nebraska Oklahoma yeah, at 11 a.m. The, the big noon Fox kickoff. What's the spread I, on that? I think it's just going to be a four question. No, it's 40. <laughs> Double it. No, I want to say it's 18. I looked at it this morning. That's Chad, not going to be close. Another game uh, not on your list was Stanford Vandy. Oh, yeah. Chad doesn't like smart schools. I mean, I'm fine with smart schools. Or Vandy. Yeah, I asked you guys this yesterday. It was just met with silence, which I think is going to be in that stadium on Saturday night. A lot of silence. About the. Does Stanford have fans that go to Nashville for the game? I think Stanford has fans that go to Nashville. You just not not for this game. Occasionally, yeah. I mean, a hundred random times. I mean, a hundred of them. Some family. Why would you come to this game? Yeah. I mean, other than to visit Nashville, why would you see your son play? I I mean, friends and family night. It was friends and family night for Clark Lee's opener against ETSU, which I understand. There are county fairs who are going to have a better attendance on Saturday. This would be a matchup you would think, oh, this is a chance to see Stanford in Nashville. You don't get that every year, but I, yeah, it did not make the list. Yeah, there'll be some people that make a weekend out of it who are Stanford diehards, but they, they don't have a traveling fan base by any means. 22 and a half, Oklahoma's favorite over Nebraska. Yeah. I said double, double the, the spread. spread. I got, I got, I was, un, I was under at 40. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter will join us. Time to preview the college football weekend with OutKick's college football analyst. That's straight ahead on OutKick 360.
Good news for Paul Koharski's fantasy football team. Trey Sermon is going to be active on Sunday. Oh, Paul, yeah. Look out. I don't know if I'm going to be playing him because I'm, <laughs> I'm so deep. Uh, you know, and I drafted him for the bench. And still, on, 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 <laughs> week, two, on week two, you're still playing yeah. the people you drafted in starting roles. But I like him, and Give I think he's going to be a this. good player. By the way, welcome back to OutKick That's 360. That's my theory. If you, you, you Not draft, theory, but rule. Yeah, if you draft guys to start for, through two weeks, unless you have injuries, you start the guy you drafted. There's, there's too You're going to have so much regret if the guys that you drafted in I, starting spots have big weeks. I agree. Leave the bench uh, guys two, on the bench. But I, re- I regret starting Derrick Henry this past week. Yeah, but I mean, Are he's, you he's, he's your first-round yes. pick. You start your first-round pick unquestionably without yeah. injuries. Yeah, if I didn't start him, and he, uh, I would just be Chad, kicking you start the player that. that you drafted and then rose and applauded over. <laughs> Proclaiming yes. yourself champion. Cordero Patterson? <laughs> that player? I should have started him. He had more points than Derrick Henry in week one. He's the I last love when pick. I announced he that was my last a pick. UT guy was available that had a big preseason, and you said, oh, he's still out there. And then you went and immediately drafted him. Oh, he's there? Search, draft. Who was that? Uh, uh, New Callaway. Orleans. Marcus Callaway. Callaway. Yeah. Is it Callaway? Yeah. Did I get Callaway? Callaway? I said, um, how is Callaway still available? And you said, I don't know. I'm going to remedy that. Yeah, he's probably <laughs> not, not going to be available for long, I can tell you that much. Uh, speaking of wide receivers, Will Fuller not available this week. A bit of a surprise he's in Miami. He suspended last week. Yeah, right? he was not allowed to play last week due to uh, PDs. Uh, at least I think that's what it was. It was uh, performance-enhancing drugs, some, I don't, I, something. He was suspended um, for a drug test. And he is not playing this week for personal reasons. Oh. That's intriguing to follow. Uh, for Tua Tagovailoa as they host the Buffalo Bills this week. Um, Again, just a a personal issue there. Uh, We will be following all of the issues with the Indianapolis Colts. Hard Knocks is here for the regular season, and they just randomly announced, at least I saw it for the first time yesterday. I had not heard this at all. Well, Schefter announced that there would be an announcement at (laughs) halftime of the game. I have an announcement. There will be an announcement. Yes. And then after that announcement, we'll have another announcement yeah. shortly after. I, how far will they let it go? That, that's the question. It'll be very compelling if you actually see some stuff. If, they, if it's a huge shielded, curtained thing, that it could be very not compelling. I don't think Ursay will do that. I think Ursay will be the one yeah. that's lifting the curtain. On the if, team. If we can see some Ballard and, and Reich doing their thing and yeah. players in, in vulnerable moments... It can be really good. But Hard Knocks, and Chad, I only gave it two episodes this year before I fell I gave off. it two and a half. It was not very good. It has really kind of played out. So I, maybe that's why they're doing this. This is resuscitation I gave it for three Hard minutes. Uh, I watched the three-minute drone, drone shot. That was yeah. it. That the was the highlight was of good. it. It was awesome. That was the highlight of the show was camera Luckily, work. someone tweeted that clip. And this And this, yeah. this highlight of the you show. You didn't have to record it and watch the episode? The highlight of the show, the camera work, and the facility were the stars. Not any people. I love the fact that we're going to be able to follow a team through the entire season, though. I mean, we've done this in the past that the Rams, the the year Jeff Fisher was fired uh, with the Rams, uh, when they had moved to L.A. This is the all-access Amazon show, right? But the cameras were rolling while he told the team he had just been let go. Remember that? Uh, So it's not, not, you know, uh, revolutionary that we're seeing access in season, 
but it's the first time we're going to see HBO hard knocks in season. Better production and yes. better visibility, quite frankly. Amazon's thing you have to go look for. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're right. HBO is more present in people's lives. Well, and how do you, we've always asked the question, how do you uh, make uh, hard knocks worth watching again? And I, we were running out of ideas for the training camp version of it. Well, this is one way that I'm going to tune in to watch this, where I gave it, like I said, two and a half episodes with the Cowboys training camp hard knocks. I'm going to tune in and watch the Colts during the season and see what they're doing. Me too. I I think uh, everybody will give this a chance. Well, so do you think uh, the the Dallas hard knocks was a bust because Dallas didn't allow the access that everyone thought they would? Or is this uh, because the storylines that they tried to set up were just mistakes going into the production. Well, uh, again, I didn't see it all the way through. I've heard, you know, there's no cuts involved anymore. Which well, you saw the first ones. episode. Like, why but, did it not grab you? It just wasn't that compelling. Dak wasn't playing. It was a shoulder injury. Here's the other thing. We know the formula now. They follow a young guy mm-hmm. with a chance who doesn't make it. How long is that compelling? Like, uh, it, it, You've, I don't know. I've seen the story. I'm, I'm not big on human interest stories. I tell you this all the time. And people call me heartless on it. But look, Timmy faces adversity and he overcomes adversity. Like, until I have a real interest in Timmy, more on a personal level, I've seen that human interest story a billion times. And so it's got to be a really special human interest story to get me. And so you go to Hard Knocks, well, the story's the same every time. So uh, Kajust or whoever it was on the Browns, the tight end, what made him any different than any other guy I've seen on any Hard Knocks story who gets caught? His dad loves him. He's rooting like hell for him. He comes in. He works hard. He's not good enough. He gets caught. I've seen that. But that's the... That is the lifeblood of the league during the preseason. It's the guys who are in camp that are battling for maybe one spot, trying to make five hundred grand guaranteed, that are getting paid twelve hundred a week and are you know getting uh, concussed. I while think doing it's it. become predictable though, and they they rarely right. hit on a guy with that story that makes it. You know what I mean? It always ends up being a guy who gets gets cut. Yeah, but the, the most the, the best example, and it's not a great example because I don't remember the guy's name. Remember the guy who was the fan favorite in Houston, and they cut him, and then he was picked up by like the Bengals, and so he was a he was a league name based off the the Hard Knock show. He was an undrafted running back. That's all I remember about him, and he was a preseason performer. He returned a kick for a touchdown. He did everything right. Numbers didn't work out well. I think it was Arian Foster's last year, maybe in in Houston. Nonetheless, he gets cut and gets picked up, and you know that's a bottom line story because everyone was following him. This was back whenever Hard Knocks was must watch, with Vince Wilfork and J.J. Watt and everyone else. Um, it's not that case anymore. But Paul, you you can't do a pre a, a, a training camp show like that and not feature the 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 the. the I, Not the underdog. Yeah, I guess it is the underdog thing, but there, there are 50 of those guys. The, the guy who is just cr- scrapping and clawing even to make a practice squad. No, I, I agree. I just think it's unique at the beginning, and when you've seen it for 15 years, it's not as compelling. And they do less and less of a job. It's, it's, it's like any TV show. After 20 years, it's become it's, kind of predictable. I think it's all about 
the formula to have successful hard knocks is all about coach quarterback. If the coach is compelling and the quarterback is compelling and you're getting a lot with them, then I think it can be good. I think when either one doesn't line up, it's just not as fun. If you get, you know, some real behind-the-scenes quarterback talking to his guys, uh, some arguments, the coach going after his players, the team meetings. I mean, we all remember the Rex Ryan season with the Jets. Let's go get a snack. Yeah, because Rex Ryan's this huge personality, and it was fun to watch from that perspective. Look, I'm going to give it a shot and see if they have any real access during the season with the Colts. But we've long asked the question, how do you save hard knocks and make it more compelling? Well, they've come up with a way – that's going to at least get me to watch again. Here, here's what it boils down to for me. Everything is a massive secret, and we want to see some of it. If you'll actually show us some of it, we'll eat it up. But if you're really going to be peripheral back there, we're going to say, I think, for the most part, yeah, well, it's still really a massive secret. Did the Colts volunteer for this? Uh, it, I, it's unclear to me. I, I think so. I mean, I don't think they if went If you volunteer for this, you're offering up some, some behind-the-scenes footage. Yeah. And that's to and what? That's why I to brought drum up, up To drum up some interest and to be a little bit more national. Yeah. But I know a team in that division that, that would never do it, <laughs> that could use it. Um, Paul, you said you don't like human interest stories. Uh, here is a human interest story I'd be interested in knowing. I thought about this. It's a very broad statement. Well, I thought about this this morning when I, I woke up because I'm watching the Giants in Washington last night. The human interest story of what it feels like to be Dexter Lawrence waking up this morning that you committed a penalty on a, a field goal that cost your team the game, that gave them another chance at the game winner. How awful that must be. It's not just, I didn't make the play that was in front of me. It's, I'm watching the football as a defensive tackle, and I jumped off sides, and the guy missed the kick. And how much in your mind you go back to, I really wish that dude would have hit that first kick. I I really wish that if I made that mistake, at least they would have just declined it and he hit it. But the, the process of him missing it and then making the next one makes you the ultimate goat of the week. And not greatest of all time. Go. PFT has a post up. I wonder if you guys give this any credence. Saying, and they're looking for the best angle, which might not come until the film is out, that maybe he wasn't offsides, that maybe he moved phenomenally well with the movement of the ball. No. And everybody else is slow. And, and it, it comes to pass. And flags are thrown sometimes on that with a guy who's really great You get, get too off. good of a jump. Yeah. No, he was offsides. I don't know what PFT is seeing. He jumped with both arms forward, and he was starting to try to get back. Did the ball move, though? David thought the ball moved. David, jump on. Yeah, so what I saw in the overhead shot particularly, the snapper does not move the ball directly back. He moves the ball up, and when he moves the ball up, he comes up. That's when he begins to move and make contact. So I, I contend that PFT is right for once, maybe. That when he brings that ball up, that's when he moves and makes contact. So I, I, I'm with him on this one. It is a, uh, a, a miserable, miserable thing. I mean, you single-handedly lose the game in that situation. Everybody always says it's not one guy, it's not one play. That's one guy on one play. That's one guy on one play. On I mean, one and also, he's the, uh, there are two guys right there on either side of the ball. This always kills me it, with football players that jump in the middle of the line. You are looking at the football. 
There are two guys looking to ride the football. Dexter Lawrence is the only one who jumps on it. So, I mean, you could argue, well, he's getting a really good jump seeing the ball move up. But either way, the other guy didn't jump off sides. And he had time to, I mean, I could watch it again, but I'm pretty sure I've seen it enough to say that he jumps off sides with two hands and he's in the process of jumping back to get back on sides as the ball's being snapped. Well, he's jumping back because he knows nobody else went. It doesn't mean that there's not the potential that he was thinking what what David's saying. It's tough not to feel bad for him. That's one of those where I have empathy in that it's a dumb mistake, and I would be thoroughly angry if I were a Giants fan, but it's tough not to feel bad for the guy that makes that mistake in that moment on a field goal that he's probably not blocking either way, right, from that spot. I mean, it's, it's difficult. Also, how rare is it that there's not an icing situation there? They were out of timeouts. But usually you're, you're seeing the kicker line up for that and there be a timeout. And if it's a late enough timeout, it might have been in the process, like that ball gets snapped and kicked at a late timeout and he would have been off the hook for it. And then is the kick made or missed? You know, there's all those end-of-game complications. Jeff Fisher, I, I didn't agree with him on a lot of strategical stuff, but I always thought he was smart where he said, like, this would have been that scenario. You, you call the icing timeout, and the guy actually missed it. Yeah. And you, you burned yourself out of you give him winning a the game. You give him a swing. Um, Joe Judge is the coach that, was it last year? He had players run laps during training camp and preseason whenever they would commit a penalty. Like old school? think so. think he's making Dexter Lawrence running laps well, Speaking this week. of old school, I have to bring this up. We're getting closer to the Tennessee Power Hour, but I'll bring it up now. Is there any mistake that two coaches on the staff for the Giants when a mistake like that happens, or Jeremy Pruitt and Derek Dooley? First thing I thought I mean, was, of course it's the Giants that jump off sides on a field goal to lose a game with the kicker missing the kick that would have given you the win and given him another chance when I think about the history of Tennessee football and the fact Joe Judge hired both Jeremy Pruitt and Derek Dooley on that staff. There can't be a Tennessee fan that feels good about the Giants. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you're, invi- but you're inviting wackiness to happen if you have those two guys. And they also around. have Jason Garrett. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> like, just add all that in to the, the craziness of last night where Washington gets the win. Uh, they avoid the 0-2 start, and, and Taylor Heineke, uh, resilient, I think is the word, to describe his type of play. Uh, he's gonna, uh, he plays well enough to keep them within reach, right? He's not... Um, He's not the 32nd ranked starting quarterback in the NFL. No, Washington desperately, the city, the the fan base, which, by the way. And he's got momentum right now. This is a. They uh, they love it. But that fan base. Has has any fan base. This is a good topic. Has any fan base of a team with a great tradition, and teams with great traditions disappear at times, right? Struggle. But well, the any, NFL's removed their tradition. At, but at, well, they've removed the name. But the tradition exists. Has any team with that kind of tradition seen its fan base dwindle as much as Washington? You mentioned fan base. I was going to bring up last night was loud. That was, and it was not a the, the upper deck. I, I saw one end zone shot. I don't know if they have it roped off or what the deal is. But it wasn't like it didn't look packed. Uh, upper deck. I'm saying, uh, but that. Maybe it was just the way that crowd was mic'd and they had a great mix going for the broadcast. 
It was loud There's in that more, stadium. It was loud. There's more contempt for that team from long-time dedicated fan families than mm. any, any franchise with a meaningful history that I can think of. It's all Dan Snyder, right? And it's all the name, too. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can say what you want, but I think the majority of fans are mad they removed the name the Redskins. Well, and and they, they, they don't feel most, a connection they're to mostly it. mad about not winning. I, and the not winning well, yeah, is Dan Snyder with all this PR manipulation BS and the cheap stadium mm-hmm. and the, the parking a mile away for $100 and all of this yeah. game day that stuff. All plays That's into fundamentally. It. I think they it all, haven't I think contended it's all a part of and, that pie. and come close to a Super Bowl, a team that has a Super Bowl-rich history. And there is just so much contempt. I can't think. There have been bad owners of, of super historic, uh, historic franchises. But in the NFL, it's rare. It usually stays in the family, right? And Jack Kent Cook, it came out of, the, uh, out of the family, and he was no saint by any means. But they won. Who all has been, speaking of owners, um, who all has been rumored for the Denver Broncos? Bezos is one. Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Is it definite that they're, the conclusion of that is that they're selling? It's, that's what it's looking like. Well, because of the dispute within the family. Kids Isn't that can't terrible come together that on they it? can't yes. figure out a way to keep it in a family where you have a Hall of Fame dad who, who owned it and, just uh, and the had hall. such, yeah, such a just great the hall. run? I mean, they're going to make over $4 billion, so I don't feel too bad for them. No, but I feel bad for the city that this guy was a steward of the city and an influential I don't feel NFL bad for the city. guy. Well, what their so their problem is? I would take Jeff Bezos as an owner of my team. <laughs> they are facing the in same terms of resources, predicament. They're part of the fabric of the city, is what I'm saying. They're, they're facing they're the same be. predicament that the Titans had when Bud Adams passed away. Yeah, where they have to have a sole like majority owner. Yeah, at least the Titans only had a three-way split, that. really, and they've got like what an eight-way split. Yeah, it, yeah, and it's split in a lot of different percentage ways. It's very straight. Brittany Bolin, I remember Paul at the because I, I was yeah we were up there we were up there. She she Spoke is expected to be the the majority owner. Like that's the odds-on favorite if we want to call it that. But the, the idea is that they're going to sell, and yeah, I, I mean I think that the NFL has told them they have to figure this out by 2022. Yeah. Let me clarify, Chad. All I'm saying is I, I like the old family ownership, and I'm not putting bowl in with like the Roonies and the Maras and stuff. But if it stayed in the family for a long time, it could be like that. And I don't like the new corporate ownership as much as I like the old well, family I, ownership. It, now, Jay-Z is going to need some help with other investors because he doesn't have enough to cut a $4 billion check for a franchise, but I think he's worth – Last time I checked, $1.8 billion, something like that. I don't think it hurts you if Jay-Z is your majority owner of your NFL team. No, but again, he's uh, – I'm, I'm, I like the old families the, that, that made the league what it is. The, those are the two names that um – the, the, the news outlets in Denver are giving a lot yeah, of now, and then you think with. about that people will say Jay-Z's worth 1.8 million dollars well Jay-Z's not putting his life's worth billion. into billion you're not putting a life's worth into the investment in the Broncos so he's putting a very small portion of that into it as an investment and then he's got some massive people or companies putting in the bulk of it well then you have to win the vote 
you have to win the vote by the owners. Three quarters, right? To be approved to even purchase the team. If, even if you're willing to pay $5 billion, it's worth $3.7. What will it bring? That's the estimated by Forbes. So let's get into that, too, because if you're an owner, are you okay with Bezos or Jay-Z, or is that something that would be frowned upon because of their either celebrity status or the fact that they are the biggest, richest yeah. person in the world? And you don't want that person overpowering you. Well, I'd look at Bezos and say, well, here's a creative guy. Was well, that screw them with, with the some streaming rights and stuff as an owner? Yeah, I don't know. You could, you could look know. at it two ways. You could Does say, he have well, to here's a creative Amazon's guy. Interest in the league? Well, I don't know. You could say, here's a creative guy who's our, our partner to take this into the new, new area of take, streaming. You can and, take them in outer space. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, we'll literally. be big in space. We'll be on Mars before people are on Mars. You bring um, free agents in, prospective free agents. I'll take you to the moon. Let's yeah. go. Let's go. Um, or you could look at it the other way, like this guy's too big for us, and we don't want anything that's bigger than us anywhere near us. Um, at, 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 how's Jerry Jones feel about it? That's the question. Right, Hutton? That's what He's one of tone. like five true decision makers. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Coming up, we preview Titans and Seahawks. By the way, uh, Bobby Carpenter was scheduled to be with us. We had a feeling this may happen. He's out in Vegas. <laughs> he overslept, um, we think. Or, or he's, he's napping after an, or an early morning when uh, we had the morning show. I'd like to guess Blackjack. Blackjack? Probably, he's on a heater? Yeah, I think he's on a heater right now. When you're on a heater, you don't get up from the table. We'll get an update on how much money he sure. won next week while yeah. he's in Vegas. And he'll donate a portion of it to uh, yep. Chad, to Chad's pocket or to the Waverly uh, recovery, <laughs> Chad's side. We will discuss Titan Seahawks. <laughs> we will also, uh, coming up in about 20 minutes, discuss the Tennessee Volunteers, the Tennessee Power Hour, straight ahead. We'll kick off uh, the Power Hour a little early. We'll talk Titan Seahawks next on Outkick 360. Can Derrick Henry be the king of the road? Titans hitting the road. They'll be flying out to the Pacific Northwest, to Seattle, take on the Seahawks. That game on Sunday, uh, flying out tomorrow. Uh, Derrick Henry and that run game last year traveled. The most rushing yards by an NFL running back on the road in NFL history ever. Over 1,200 yards rushing on the road in those eight games in the regular season. Can Henry do it again on the road in Seattle in a hostile environment? That will be key, the key, to the Titans returning to Nashville at 1-1. One and one. Outkick 360 rolls on. We'll be uh, talking Tennessee and Tennessee Tech with Austin Price of AllQuest.com coming up in about 10 minutes. Um, guys, Derrick Henry had eight yards at halftime last week. What would you predict the over-under to be after two quarters this week? And if it's substantial then you, I think the, the, the answer would be, if you think it's 70-plus, then what are we, there, there's nothing to be concerned about. If, if you it's 70-plus, it, then Titans if, are winning. I think it has to be. I mean, he's got to be, I mean, if you look at his road stats last year, 98 yards rushing was his low mark, and that was at Green Bay in week 15 or 16, week 16. Otherwise, he's putting up 115-plus. Yeah, I don't think it's – I mean, I don't think he'll have 70 in the first half of this game based on the offensive line. The old, so the, I think based on the O-line, the easiest thing to do to get things on track is to run block. Uh, I agree. And you but think the they're easiest, that bad? The easiest thing to do against so, Arizona was to run block. Now, uh, again, like it's either they have major issues all of a sudden 
or they don't. I don't think there's any in between here. And I, I don't know how they go from all-time best rushing performance on the road as a group. It's not just him, as a group, to not getting the job done against Arizona and Seattle out of the gate. And it's not just pass pro with Lawan's knee that, or, or having to start Questenberry. I mean, what we saw last year to this year – that would be a drastic change. Well, I think it's a step up. What did he finish with in this game? 40, 45 or 70? Um, I mean, I, I think there's a long way to go between 70 and a half, which would put him on pace for 140 and what he did That's last what I week. think he's got to – I think he has to be like the, the, it, it's a, the it's legitimate – It's a tone setter, though. Best running else. back of the week. It's, it's got to be – it's not just a commitment to running him rushing. on first down every time, but a commitment to – as Derrick Henry goes, we go. And it starts in the first half. And there's got to be that just statement from the Titans. This is that a, we're going to make this work. I, I, after I say this, it's probably the exact opposite, but it shouldn't be. It would make no sense to me. Ryan Tannehill needs to attempt 25 passes. He attempted 35 last week. Like, this needs to be all on 22, and you just ground it out. And, and, and by the way, you can blow them out with Derrick Henry. Like, it's not just the run game and you have to win 17-14. It's an offense that went through him that averaged 32, 33 points a game last year. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. I just think I could see him 100, 110, 120, well, but not 170. I, I don't well, know. Well, you've though. jumped ter- it up I'm 30, yard, 30 more yards since the two minutes ago. I, but. I'm terrible at predicting things like like running back yardage. Um, I think they're going to be I'm, – I'm with Chad. I think they're going to be better, but I think it's a very difficult game to win. See, but the, the, that's my overall point. You're saying it's very difficult to predict. It was not difficult to predict what Derrick Henry is going to do to you last year. He was going to show up, and you were going to lose the fight against him. You had to stop everyone else to win. Well, yeah, outside of that first, first month. month. Yeah, and that's no, – But not on the road. Not on the road. That's my point. That, that's this offense. In the first month? He had 115 yards at Denver. How many carries? I mean, the, the, 31. He had 31 carries. That's the second most carries of the season. And that's, My point that's is, That's a though, loss for the Titans. If it's 31 carries for 115 yards against Seattle and not awful Denver a year ago, that's a loss. It's got, he's got to have success running it, too. It's not just running it over and over again. And I think he will have success this game. And I think that has to be the game plan is for him to get them going on the ground. But... I think over that's, 30 carries for 115 yards will get them beat. That's the one loss over the last, what, two years where he's had 22 or more carries in a game. They have a uh, losing record when he has 21 or fewer. These three and outs and this, you know, negative two yards rushing play on first down is not going to get it done. I think they will be determined to do exactly what you're saying uh, the question, to, right? yes, but the question is about uh, how effective they can be with it and how determined Todd Downing will stay with it. They felt well, last year, Chad, they could show up and be the bully. Yeah, right. Do they? Can they bully Seattle? Well, and then I mean, you're going to have to protect the quarterback at some point too. So you know, the running the ball successfully is going to help you protect Ryan Tannehill, but. What I saw against Arizona, I don't even know if more successful runs are going to help you protect the quarterback when you drop back. The way Arizona was able to get there rushing four. There's no Chandler Jones on this team. That's that's the one thing. It's not a great matchup, 
but this team is not loaded up front in Couldn't the same way. Bobby it. Wagner and Jamal Adams are the stars of this defense, and they're further away from the quarterback, uh, and they're less of an issue for the left tackle, which is a good thing for the Titans. Well, they, they thank goodness they don't have Chandler Jones, but they do have uh, Carlos Dunlap. They do have Daryl Taylor, who they drafted uh, first-round pick. I mean, they have yeah, – good players. Or second-round pick. What was he, Chad? First or second-round pick? I think second-round like, balls. But yeah. Yeah, Speaking of balls, round. we talk balls coming up. Austin Price of VolQuest.com. Tennessee and Tennessee Tech – but more importantly, Hendon Hooker will discuss his prospect as the Tennessee quarterback straight ahead on OutKick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.